Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or the Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. I have a story about my wife in just a second. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of stuff today. Josh Kendall will be our guest from The Athletic. They ranked all 57 hires in the SEC since 1992. And we had a really fun conversation with him a little bit later on. You're going to hear that basically the second half of the podcast. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about our thoughts on that on those rankings. Ahead of time, we've got uh, obviously some some spring practice storytelling to do here on the show today. Uh, we also have the Masters is back this week in April, which is amazing. Lots of SEC ties there. And college basketball season is over. So we'll get to all of these little nuggets here. But of course, Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers on West End. It's the next evolution of the sports bar, people are saying. People have been saying that. And yes. what's your favorite part about that place? I mean, how how could Say I say something choose? besides the parking lot? How could I choose though? How can I how can I decide between 9,000 square feet of spacious wonderfulness, a fantastic menu that is just delightful, the happy hours are great, the parking is free. I, I, there's great places to watch the game. There's a like a game room, like uh, there's a patio, there's a grab and go market. Small library I, section. With, how do I choose? I don't know. And honestly, for anyone listening, Braden is like the biggest food brat on the planet. He has, he's in, he won't deny, he will deny that he's a hipster, although he does have some hipster like qualities, including but not limited to bratty about certain alcohols, very specific about food and restaurants, likes local places. So if he likes it, mm, you'll that, like it because he's really, really picky, almost to a point that's annoying. That makes me a hipster that I am picky about my my bourbon and my food. And I like, no, the, you and I like to support local Nashville. No, no, no. Those are, I'm just saying, if you like it, other people are going to like it because you're picky. You oh, are. Okay. Now, now it feels like a compliment. How did it go from feeling like an insult to a compliment? I'm know. really good at like an insult sandwich. It's the opposite of a compliment sandwich. <laughs> all right. So I'm, <laughs> I'm ready for the next one. Here it comes. <laughs> what oh, no. you got for me? Um, all right. Let me tell you. Can I tell you a quick story about my wife in between? So we recorded with Josh Kendall of The Athletic, which you're going to hear later on in the show um, on Tuesday around lunchtime. Then we took a little break and we came back and we recorded this part of the show. And in between, my wife calls me during the interview with Josh Kendall and says, I didn't answer, obviously, because Josh Kendall, you don't do that to Josh Kendall. And Absolutely so not. I then called her back after the interview because she said, call me after the interview. So I called her after the interview. She says, my car has died. I've called AAA. They're going to come tow it. And I said, why would you do that? She goes, because I have AAA. And I said, all right, what happens when the car starts? She starts it and it dies out and it peters out. And I said, well, what, what does it sound like? Is there some like broken gears does it have any warning lights or any symbols or sounds or anything she's like no it just kind of starts and then like peters off and i said do you have any gasoline in your car <laughs> and she said i think so so i drove her some gasoline in between recordings she started up her car and i followed her to a gas station and she filled up her tank I don't even know if she's going to call AAA and have the courtesy to cancel the order. I don't even I'm know. sure she did. What did she did? So she obviously admitted before you got there that she realized that she didn't have gas. No, I think she she goes I, as I was filling up the tank. She goes, if this is just me running out of gas, I'm never going to hear the end of it. Am I? And I was like, nope, you're not. I wouldn't have volunteered that information any earlier than necessary if I was her either, because you're either going to get shit for the rest of your life or the rest of your life plus an hour. 
And so I'm picking the first one. <laughs> well, it's mostly just like when she described what was wrong with the car. My first, the fact that my first question was, do, is there gas in it? Honestly, bad, I'm like, that's the bad thing when it sounds exactly like what a car without gas sounds like, you know? Well, how do you know if you've never run out of gas? That's just true. I have never run out of gas before. It's never happened. Yeah, but my he wife already lives, made that a bragging point. My wife lives life on the edge. She lives in that last quarter tank where she only puts like 10 bucks in at a time, likes to stop a bunch. I don't understand those people. Those She's people, a mom on the go. She's I don't understand. Go. She's amazing. She just, just fill up the tank all the way and then fill up the tank again when you need to. I don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Anyway. I'm just honestly relieved that there's somebody in this world that has a car issue besides me. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, all right. SEC in the NCAA tournament real quickly because this is a football show. But no teams made it to the Final Four. So I don't know if that makes it a bad year. Bama and Arkansas both get bounced early. Tennessee was bad in the first round. I know LSU almost beat Michigan. But by and large, it was a pretty blah tournament for S- by SEC standards. Gonzaga, I was rooting for Gonzaga. And the reason I bring this up is I don't think Gonzaga is possible in football. I don't think you can take like a tiny little school in the middle of nowhere and, and be, become a national powerhouse in football, but Gonzaga has in basketball. And then Baylor wins like what Baylor really Baylor (laughs) is a national champion. That just doesn't sound right to me. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Well, when we're talking about basketball, it's, and for me, I really wanted Gonzaga to win too. Not only, even though they didn't, they had one of the best moments in my recollection of March madness history in the semifinal game with that buzzer beater by Jalen Suggs. So they had their their one shining moment, if you will. But I'm sure that would have been a lot sweeter with the national title um going back to Washington. Yeah, Spokane. What what's hilarious is you're absolutely right. Like if I were to say 15 years from now to some casual basketball fan, what do you remember about that 2021 tournament, that final four? They're not gonna say Baylor was the national champ. They're gonna remember Suggs three point bank shot as time expired in overtime. That's what they're going to remember. They may or may not remember the Baylor's starting lineup looking like NFL tight ends, <laughs> but the moment was that shot. Yeah, no, no question about it. Um, I do. The only reason, I, again, I, I want to bring this up because I want to talk about what it would look like. Like, what would be the equivalent of Gonzaga in football? And I don't okay. think I don't think that there is one. I, I don't think that you can. Boise State's really good, but as Boise State ever played in the national championship game the way Gonzaga has twice. I just don't see how you can go from <laughs> nothing to everything in football. I don't think it's possible. UCF would probably claim it's them, but it's just not the same. You make a valid point, but I don't think it counts. No, I don't think uh, so either. In the record books. There's not one. It's because it's too expensive. It's too big. It takes up too much space. It's money. It's TV. It's everything, which is why March Madness is so special because it has those Cinderella mid-major kind of stories and that's what makes it awesome but yeah you're right it it would be very hard to translate into foot language of football so bad basketball tournament let's call it not bad but like not as good as it could have been for the sec Mm -hmm. i will say this though for sec fans and i know you're a big fan of baseball and i'm a big baseball guy as well our monitors will play potentially as top 10 teams next weekend for like the first time in the history of the rivalry ever you could argue seven of out of 10 or 12 teams in America, the best teams in America are SEC teams. They might get 11 teams into the NCAA tournament. Like th- this could be the best the SEC has ever been in baseball. And that's saying a lot. And it makes me excited because I love baseball season and I love a good Braden Aaron Dugan face off, even though we have one 
every Tuesday or Wednesday of each week. So what should we do for that game? It's a good question. Listeners, tweet at Braden Gall, at the Aaron Dugan, things that we should do for the Vanderbilt Tennessee baseball series. Come yeah, on. I mean, I want to make it a little more spirited. Things you know? we should put on the line? Yeah, let's put, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's put some stuff on the line. Will you we get a Tennessee tattoo? In a regular season conference series? Okay, okay, that's good. No, I'm also not going to need to. Well, I, that's, no, you're going to have to, like, you'll have to get three tattoos. I'll have to get, like, a vaccine. <laughs> Why? What? Because Vanderbilt will be favored heavily. They're way better. Okay, you got to put some stuff on the line. I'm not going to get three tattoos for you to get something you're already going to get, like, next week anyway. I think we can come up with something. I'm okay putting something on the line. Yeah, yeah, but, let's figure it but out. I get I, my, the point is I get odds here. Okay, Vandy is on another planet. Yeah, because we're better, but it's not going to be a tattoo versus a shot. Let's uh, let the people decide. Okay, they tend to side with me more <laughs> so than you, anyway. That's true. I'm just getting odds because Vanderbilt's way better than everybody. They have they have guys who when they give up hits, it's a story. <laughs> but like it's gonna it's gonna be tough. It's a news story that Jack Leiter gave up a base hit. That's a news. That's like a headline. Human gets base hit off Jack Leiter. There are two people on this planet that may not be humans. They are Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter. And yes. I, I can't disagree with you on that. I'm just, I'm just happy that Tennessee has a legitimate baseball team for the first time in almost 20 years. So It's fun to be good at baseball. It, it really is. is. So I, I want that for you guys. I really do. Well, and, and when we're going to get it when I was in college, they had they went to the College World Series. They had the number one overall pick and Vanderbilt was, was like that? and Vanderbilt was almost like still irrelevant at the time because before Tim Corbin, Vanderbilt didn't matter in baseball. And then Tim Corbin showed up and is the greatest of all time. Um, it was, this would have been oh four oh five. I don't remember which year it was, but Luke Hochaver was the number one pick. They went to the College World Series. Totally forgotten about this till you just well, you just said Corbin's name, but actually accidentally stumbled across a text conversation with Corbs from the middle of the year this past year because we were on a, a company wide or a Vanderbilt wide Zoom call and I was drinking a protein shake. So there's like 75 people on this Zoom call or something. And uh Corbs texted me and said, Whatever you're drinking, that better be healthy. You need to stay locked in. <laughs> and I go, Where even are you? I can't see you on this Zoom call. Are you hiding? And that are are you doing Peloton during this? And he said, I'm doing deadlifts right now. <laughs> what a lunatic. He's insane. He's so next level. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if he's being serious or not, but whatever. It's funny. <laughs> I'm hiking the Appalachian Trail, Aaron. Could be, truly. <laughs> While on Zoom. Uh, <laughs> all right. So basically, I wanted to bring that up because SEC baseball is going to keep me through June. Until mm -hmm. we get to SEC media days, I'm good with, with, with SEC baseball. Um, that being said, there is spring practice, and you have been to many of these. I've been to a couple most of the time, the media is not allowed. You were not allowed as a member of the media. You were there because you worked in the office and in, in the facility for the athletic department. And I guess I just want to know, is there anything out there that people need to know about what actually takes place in spring practice outside of like, we, we know that the young kids are trying to learn the system and the new coaches are trying to install their scheme and like all this stuff. We know kind of the basic stuff. I'm just curious from your perspective, is there stuff that goes on at spring practice that people don't really know or, or don't really think about that happens? The first thing that comes to mind for me is just the huge shift in schedule. And not to say that there aren't early morning workouts all season and that people don't show up early for rehab, but spring practice is really the, the first big movement of this huge schedule adjustment. You know, it starts in 
February. It's freezing cold. You're up at dawn. The guys get there. They do two, two and a half hours of meetings. Sometimes go practice. There is food everywhere during spring practice. I mean, you look around, you will step on on an Uncrustable if you are not careful. It's everywhere. There's little cups of vitamins, like sitting on tables every place you turn. It's just constantly like fueling the guys up. We always love spring practice, not only because it makes you excited for football season, but because in at Vanderbilt, it's called Hendrick's room was the student athlete cafeteria, but there is a an omelet bar and chef every day during spring practice. So you get to make your own omelet, which gets everyone really stoked. I'm trying to think of other things that <laughs> I've eaten. I've eaten in that cafeteria many times. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've been there really more so than anything. It's, it's kind of that feeling we've talked about this of just coaches seeing what they have and the energy is just as high, not only for the young kids, well, not the whole team, but a lot of the young guys are trying to prove their value, find their spot. Same thing with the new coaching staff. They are also trying to implementing new schemes that never changes. There's almost always someone in their new, or they're taking a different approach at something similar. If they have, if they have the, you know, the same coaching staff that hasn't turned over, but more than anything, it's just how much can you like instill discipline, but also, and have a physical presence at practice as a coach, but then also prevent injury. So it's this weird push and pull of, we've got to get things lined up. We've got to see what's working. We've got to see what our talent is, but also how do we do this without getting guys hurt? And a lot of times that was called thud stuff like that, where you, know, you start from your knees or you're going full on and then you lay off when you're about to make contact. So you know, just the drills look a little bit different than they normally would. And the scheduling was normally like they go like scrimmage Saturday because you only have 15 practices over a four week period. And that includes conditioning. So you'd go scrimmage Saturday, go like Monday, Wednesday practice, and then you'd be back like Friday and the following Saturday. And then lots of mandatory rehab through that whole thing. You have to be there. If you even have something that was tweaked last season or something that they're just trying to build up strength, then you are required just like a practice to be at your mandatory rehab session. I don't know. I'm trying to, that's a lot of stuff. What, I can't. What was, what was a James Franklin spring practice like? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Insane. I mean, a show, a full on production it is if you picture the most intense scene of remember the Titans <laughs> give Denzel's most intense moment to every single position coach. And then you might have an idea The I swear those coaches probably burned as many calories slash were as tired after those practices as the players were. I mean, it is a full on show most insane amount of energy you can possibly imagine you have, you know, and this isn't spring practice, but no, that's James just Franklin. That's just James, James Franklin, Franklin right? Yeah, I mean, he's the one that brought in, you know, you're blasting, and a lot of coaches do this, but you're blasting the Gamecock noise at 5 a.m. that's, <laughs> you know, radiating through Natchez Trace in the surrounding area, upsetting the neighbors because, you know, you're trying to get guys ready. That's not the spring, but that is a good example of the intensity of James Franklin. It was something different. Yeah, yeah, I believe, I believe that. Uh, we will get to talking about James Franklin here in just a second. I just wanted to give people, since you've been to a lot of these practices, and well, I think most people don't get access to this stuff. Media does not get access to this. I, I was, I've been to a few Vanderbilt ones, and I was told like, hey, you can't report on any of this. You can't say any of this stuff. I've been to, I was at an LSU practice 
during Les Miles is sort of like time when, you know, I think Darius Geis was there actually. And it was just one of those weird, like, you're not allowed to tweet. If I see your phone out, you're not allowed to take pictures. You're not allowed to say anything. You're not even allowed to really be here, but we'll let you watch. And then you can talk about it later on the air or whatever. And so it's just, people are, they're just so protective of it. And we've talked about how silly that can be. That brings up a good point though, Braden, which is you and I have talked about this before. And especially from me being in the video department at that time, a lot of the information, them not, you know, them not wanting information leaked, like at most practices, including spring, if someone's hurt, they're wearing a red Jersey. So when we were shooting things for practice, we'd make sure that those red jerseys were kept out of the video so that none of that was sent out. So yeah, I mean, there is a, a pretty big air, a protective air over the whole thing, but I guess that's kind of every practice, right? Yeah, it is. And I just don't, I don't understand. I mean, we've talked about the injury thing maybe being important during a season so that somebody doesn't target a, an injury on a player. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't really see any negative to allowing people to watch your practice. Like you're not going to win or lose more games because fans get to actually like, like, why can't I take my kids to go watch my favorite team practice? You know what I mean? Like it just, the NFL right. has a couple of fan days a year. The media gets to watch practice. I, I know I'm harping on this and I'm a broken record, but I just think SEC coaches in particular new ones. If I'm Josh Heupel, I want to market the hell out of my quarterback battle. If I'm, if I'm Auburn, I want to market the hell out of Bo Nix, you know, like, I, I I don't know. I just, if I'm a new coach, I want to be out in front of, of fans and sort of introducing my personality and my coaching staff and my culture to people. I don't know. Like I just, I, and I understand if you're Nick Saban, you're just not going to let anybody see anything. Yeah. Cause what are you getting out of it? Like I, I, right, more I coverage guess. that you don't need, but yeah. I understand where you're coming from. It would be, and especially with spring, that would be the most reasonable time to grant a little bit of access because it's not like you know you're not doing specific play calls that you know so that you can beat lsu you're just trying to figure out who's a leader and do fundamental stuff and all that you let them in for a day not tradition normally right Mm -hmm. why not just let them in every day sell tickets raise money for charity and oh by the way you get to tell your fans look you get to come watch your favorite players and you get to bring your kids and watch the game like i don't know like it might not be that big a deal but it might be a huge deal to like an eight year old or to a, Mm -hmm. you know, to a, you know, some diehard fans who want to know more about their team. Like, I don't know. I just, uh, I know I'm a broken record at this point. So, uh, all right, we'll discuss some of these coaching ranks before we get to Josh Kendall here. I I just wanted to get your thoughts on the rankings. Um, If you pull up this list and he did this with our, our old colleague and a guy who's been on the show a bunch, Mitch light at the athletic, they put together the top 57 hires, which are all of them since the split in 1992, Nick Saban was number one by Alabama in 2007. Urban Meyer was number two by Florida in 2005. Nick Saban was number three because he was hired by LSU in 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip Fulmer at four, James Franklin at five, Steve Spurrier at six. Um, let's see here. Les Miles at seven, Mark Richt at eight, Dan Mullen at Mississippi State at nine, mm-hmm. Ed Orgeron at LSU at 10. I believe Ed Orgeron's like in the fifties at, at, at Ole Miss. Uh, you got Kirby Smart at 11, Terry Bowden at 12, uh, you know, we can keep going down this list here, but I'll, I'll let people Jimbo Fisher currently is at 15. I think that's low, frankly. Uh, yeah. Dan Mullen at Florida is 16. So just your initial reaction when you saw the list. My initial thought, which is something we bring up with, with Josh and we'll get into this more is how did you count the bad stuff that went down? Like, you know, the wins off, and losses and all that. Yeah. yeah off the field. How, how did you account for that? Which we'll get, he'll get into it. But um, the short answer is that he wouldn't exactly able to and it makes sense why yeah i disagree i disagree with him but but i'll uh, yeah i'll let you guys listen to that get into that i thought that he did a really 
good job of considering what schools had to work with and how well they did given the resources that they had. Um, And then kind of evaluating what they walked into, what they were able to do with that, what history, you know, the school has in terms of coaching or players. I think he only evaluated the three years leading up to that coach taking over, but that is not that is a really, really intricate list and it's not easy to make. So based on how much that took, I, I'm, I think he did a really good job of taking into account what each school has. So though, although James Franklin at four might sound crazy for people, cause they've won, you know, at five, won more than nine games, given the history of Vanderbilt and what that program has had that he did a lot with that. So there's many, many examples of that throughout the list. Hard to do. What do you think? James Franklin for Vanderbilt is an extraordinary hire. Absolutely. I I think you need more than three years, more than, you know, a couple of good seasons. I I just think you need more and maybe a, you know, a scandal off the field or two. I I just think you need more than that to be considered better than Steve Spurrier. You know, you mean mean? like Like, longevity wise? Yeah. And, and, and Josh even talks about this. He says, you know, part of the reason Spurrier at South Carolina, not at Florida at South Carolina is, is on this list at, and Mark Richt as well at eight, but Spurrier's at Mm -hmm. six is that it was, no one's ever won at South Carolina and he was there for like 10 years. Yeah. And, and and no one's ever been able to do that. It's the same reason Dan Mullen is extraordinary for what he accomplished at Mississippi State. He never won a division. <laughs> you know, Spurrier actually won the division once. He never won a division at Mississippi State, but it doesn't make it any less incredible. So had James Franklin done the same thing for six seasons, even, mm-hmm. I, I think I would look at it very differently and say, man, wh- holy, I cannot believe this because there's no real precedent for what he accomplished at Vanderbilt, but I don't think he did a better job at Vanderbilt than Steve Spurrier did at South Carolina. Does that make sense? Like I, I just, it does. I, the would ability drop to I also, I would also drop down less miles as well. <laughs> we know yeah. the ability to main, the ability to do that year in and year out. And, you know, we talk about this too, how hard that job is, despite what the paycheck looks like, it is extremely difficult to create a program that works or even inherit one that kind of works, make it work and keep it working. It's extremely hard to do. Um, so longevity does and should play be a heavy part of, of this list. And it seems to be, we touched on this a little bit, but I'll, I'll kind of clarify it here for you guys beforehand. I, I think there's a big difference between ranking the coach and ranking the hire. I know that sounds weird and kind of silly, but if, if you're LSU or, or if you're if you're Vanderbilt and you hire James Franklin, that is an A plus hire, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, but do I think he's a better coach than Steve Spurrier? That there's a different, you know what I mean? Like, I, yes. I think hi- hiring. If you're evaluating the hiring of of X, Y, or Z coach, I think you have to evaluate the state of the program that he leaves, and that includes Ed Orgeron now at LSU. That includes. Les Miles being an accused sexual harasser. Um, that includes Bobby Petrino at Arkansas. That impl- includes Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. That includes Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. Like, how did you leave the program is important to me as a hire. It doesn't necessarily change how I evaluate you, the coach, right? Like Hugh Freeze. Right. Hugh Freeze is clearly a very good coach. Right. But was it a great hire by Ole Miss? It, it was at first, and then it put him into probation. So I... I think you have to include that stuff. If you're talking about the hiring, the off the fields, like urban Meyer is a perfect example. And I mentioned this with Josh, like urban Meyer, I think is a lying 
<laughs> POS, but he's a brilliant coach. And I yeah, can have, you're right. And I can have those two things in my head at the same time. Yeah. And then you almost have to, you almost have to put them in their own basket because you're right on the field, win loss record, postseason appearances, whatever does not mean that you, you know, inherited a program a certain way and left it a certain way. There are a lot of examples of coaches killing it, you know, going on to play in SEC championships, whatever, and then leaving their program in absolute disarray and morality issues and accusations and things that follow the school long after their coaching tenure has passed. So you, you have to take that into account. Yep. All right. Well, that's enough of us uh, blathering on here for, for this week's episode. Blathering. Watch, oh, we didn't touch, talk, touch on the Masters, but watch the Masters this week. Okay. Is it the true that great. they – so I heard – I was reading a list of things about the Masters, and we won't dwell on this, but things – funny facts about it or things that may or may not be true. And they say that there's almost no animals at Augusta National, but is it true that on the broadcast – a, they may or may not pump bird sounds into it because oh, there are no know. birds. And B, is there really dye inside the water at certain holes to make it more reflective and majestic? Wow. You went deep on this. Yeah. I'm pretty wow. interested now. Um, I, I I think they they pipe in the birds. Uh, when they go to break and you see the, the CBS thing, I think that's being pumped in. I have to double check on that. I mean, there's definitely you know, wildlife there to some degree, mm-hmm. but, but not, not that I, th- they that say I there's about- not really. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I don't remember seeing like, you know, how you see, like, there's a couple of places here in Nashville. That if you go play, you'll see like sheep walking around on the, on the course. Like that's right. definitely not what you see. Those big black, wo- the woolly sheep at um, Hermitage. Yeah. Hermitage. yeah. Sh- no free shouts. Um, <laughs> what? Well, we love Hermitage, but no free shouts. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about there are people who have said they haven't they've been there for the entire thing and never even seen a squirrel there are people that said that so that's possible i mean you wonder if they're just you're not allowed to bring your camera in either or your phone you're not one of the only you can bring your camera and you cannot bring your phone one of the only places on earth where there are lines for payphones still oh yeah and you have to like and you have to schedule it you're like all right at three o'clock call me on the 17th hole and I'll meet up with you and then we'll talk then. It's really like, it's really ancient, ancient times. The but lake, so the lakes are, are also reportedly artificially enhanced to look immaculate on TV. Golf Digest tested the waters on one hole in 1996 and found food dye. Wow. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Holy mm. smokes, a Rooney. No birds, squirrels, insects, or any living creature indigenous to planet Earth at the Masters. <laughs> I don't know who wrote that. I, Nowhere that, on the property. That might be true because I'll say this. There is not a single blade of grass out of place. Like, mm-hmm. like we play, like you try to find the bad, try to find something unbeautiful at Augusta is a game you could play. Didn't someone get in trouble for saying that they didn't cut the grass, that they gave it a bikini wax? <laughs> I don't know who got in trouble. It was that, way back great. in the day. It was someone on CBS and they were like, they don't cut the greens here. They use bikini wax or something like that. And they got Man. in trouble. You did some serious digging. I like it. I, 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 I like, like golf. It. I used to work. I worked on a golf course for years. Nice. I, the Masters is my favorite. It's my daughter's birthday. So now it's like always going to be my daughter's birthday and the Masters together, which is always going to be a great weekend. So it's great. You yeah. should take her as soon as she turns. I can't wait. Old enough to take. Well, but she also has to learn how to shut up when they're putting. And well, she yeah, she's four right now, so she'll be okay. She turns three this weekend. 
Oh, oh, you're okay. My youngest, talking about Bennett. My youngest, yep, yep, my little one. All right, well, all right. That just about does it for us. Enjoy the Masters, uh, and this was our great conversation. Enjoy our conversation when we come back with the Athletics, Josh Kendall, about all things SEC coaches. Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers, the next evolution of the sports bar. Some folks are saying. It's on West End. Namely, us and everyone else. That's right. And especially Steve Cavendish. It is on West End. There is free parking. The menu is exceptional. There are great happy hours. I'm not sure what else you need to know, Aaron. It's great for a date. It's great for the family. It's great to watch a sporting event. It's just all around greatness. It's just pure greatness. And it's nice enough in Nashville right now that I don't even have to use the state of the art parking lot. I'm going to state of the art. I meant art. Well, it, we've had some flooding in town. So yeah, I, honestly, I could, yeah. I either I, could go in Nashville right now. State of the art. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I caught myself. Um, words are hard though. And I'm going to walk down there and not even have to use the parking lot, but you just made me think about this. Wouldn't it be weird if we did a group dinner, but I was on a date and you were with your family and we just combined them and <laughs> figured out how awkward it was. Yes. Should we do that? But this should actually, not only should we do this, it should be how you decide if you're going to date someone. Like bring, okay. them, bring okay. them with you, like see how they handle a random dude and his two tiny human daughters that are less than five years old and his wife at a table, see how he handles that situation. And if he handles it with ease and with gusto and with charm, right. then you know, you got a winner. Right. Throw him to the sharks. Just see, see what happens. All right. Okay. Let's maybe we should try it. And, and my, my daughter's turning three this weekend. So a three and a four-year-old will put someone to the test. 100%. There is no question. We're doing it. We have to. No question about that. Although going back to the arc though, if I had to bring one person with me on the arc, cause you're only allowed one person, right? Like I love mm-hmm. my wife. I love my daughters, but I might bring Deb Paquette on the, on the arc with me just so that she could cook the food that we're stuck out on the ocean, you know, while the flood is, you know, a thousand years or whatever. I mean, Deb Paquette out there cooking for me with all the animal, basically every animal on the planet to work with. I'm, I think she could come up with something. I might bring Deb with me on the ark. That is the chef at Four Top Hospitality and did the menu for Jasper's. I get where you're coming from for sure. It seems like a really extreme statement to me. And um, <laughs> it seems like oh. the, the, the lack of the, that seems like a, Thursday, Friday, I'm losing my mind statement, not like a Tuesday statement mm. that's recorded with your, you know, wife maybe listening, probably not, and your daughter's eventually listening. But no, I mean, I hear well, you. I think she would keep I you healthy. I can't pick one stopping. of the I can't pick one of the daughters, right? No. I can't do that. Like, okay, if if I was if I had to do this for real, which obviously we're not, then obviously I put my two daughters on there and I kill my wife and myself. <laughs> And sorry, Deb. Deb and Aaron, you're both dead too. Like Deb Paquette's gone. Um, I wasn't expecting to even be in the top 10. I'm not going to lie. I mean, but if you're going to bring somebody, you know, you could do worse than like a world-class chef who's got 100% in the world to work with. There should be, there should be a way to, I would like all people that can cook well to like wear a badge so that you can like weed out people that aren't going to be able to help you in the future. Like just, you know, something like hunger games kind of stuff. Sure. Definitely, a, definitely a strange we, comment. Okay, we both are. We should like. I don't know what's happening to our minds. Go to Jasper's and <laughs> go. Go to Jasper's, the home of the Mockingjay. Where, where oh my god! 
Go to Jasper's, where our chef, you'll bring on an arc with you if there's a flood that destroys the world. Go to Jasper's. Our parking I mean, lot is state-of-the-art. If you need marketing for your company, means. don't come to Braden or I. <laughs> I don't even know what a state-of-the-art parking lot is, actually. I don't even know what that means. It's just like I think it just means it's big. Okay. The lines are really well drawn. Like uh, There's no parallel parking at all, which makes it yeah. unparalleled. <laughs> I un- hate us. I hate us. Parking. No, I'm, I'm, Steve, I'm stealing that from, from Cavendish on Lamestream. So go to Jasper's. It is a great menu. They got happy hour from four to six every single day. You can get two draft beers and like wings and collie poppers for like 20 bucks. Fan- fantastic a- margarita. Fantastic. Fan- you can get that on tap during Be- the happy hour. Yep. Yes. And they do, but they're, they're on tap as in they sell so many because they're so good that they have to be able to pour them quickly, but they're yep. always yep. fresh mixed at least once yep. a day, probably sometimes twice, depending on how many times or how many, how much traffic they have in there. So gold, gold standard cocktail as well, named after the Nashville Predators podcast that we do. It's a trash podcast. It's a trash podcast, but a wonderful cocktail. Also, please go rate, review, and subscribe to the show. I want uh, my own drink now. Jasper's, let's get this girl a drink. Everybody, go to Jasper's. It's great. I need a direct line of communication with people at the top because I just don't really think you're doing everything that you possibly could. Josh, always a pleasure, my friend. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm good, guys. How are you? Doing very well. Basketball is behind us, which means it's one of our favorite weeks of the year. Second week of spring football in the SEC. No, the Masters are here. And we're going to talk a lot of SEC coaches with you today, Josh. But you also do a lot of writing because you are right down there near near Augusta. I'm very jealous of, of just where down you, the road of where you live. So I know you do a lot of work for the athletic with uh, you've done some pieces on, on the masters. Um, obviously there's some sec ties with guys like Justin Thomas and <clears throat> Patrick Reed. What just explain what, what it's like to walk into the gates at Augusta for you personally. Well, it's, it's great. It, it's, it's absolutely, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that I got to do it for so many years for my job. I miss it. Uh, they, they have cut uh, like the rest of the world. They have cut, access way down i haven't been the last two years and i've i've missed it dreadfully but that's a very um that's not even a first world problem i don't even know how to describe that (laughs) level categorize that level of problem so i'm i i I feel bad even mentioning it but it's great i mean it's as beautiful as they say it is you know 300 yards as the crow flies from the longhorn steakhouse and it you think you're in a different world so and and you are uh in some ways that world is not great but but in a lot of ways it is, it's, uh, it's beautiful. And it's, it's, it's great just to see it pop up on the sports calendar, especially this year, again, back in the spring. Who, who, who you got this year? I mean, I got DJ all the time, you know, until, you know, to, to see DJ in person. I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody who looks as much like an athlete as Dustin Johnson does just sitting in a chair. I mean, he is, <laughs> he is a perfect athlete and he can go out there he hasn't played great of late but he can go out there and we you know we've talked a lot about how he, he i think we're describing it now as a quiet mind he's not a guy who's bothered by slumps he's not a guy who's bothered by pressure he's just gonna go you know lope out there and play and you know probably shoot four sixty sevens <laughs> so for me josh when in following golf and specifically the masters there's always somebody that i pick who i think has the best chance at it but 
there's also some, that's not normally the same person that I'm looking forward to watching, especially if you're, you know, at a golf tournament in person, who is like your favorite character to follow in the golf world. That's not necessarily the best one. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Spieth guy and, and we're a, we're a Spieth house. I was a Spieth guy going way back. I like the way, I like the way he plays. I like the way he carries himself. And I, I will acknowledge um, since golf is not my first beat and not what I really do for a living, um, I'll admit some of my unprofessionalism in that field. When I was able to cover it, we could score a couple of practice round tickets. So I took my wife and my older son before my younger son had an interest in going and uh, on Tuesdays. And so we were watching practice rounds and he was hanging out by the 11th tee box and Spieth came over and struck up a conversation with him and gave him a water from the player's water cooler, which, you know, stunned my son and made me a Jordan Spieth fan for life. So we're in the bag in this house for Jordan Spieth. What's funny is my wife is very attracted to Dustin Johnson because of what you just said. He looks like it just looks like the type of athlete. He's a dude. I, I, I just can't stand the way he walks. Like it just bothers me. It's such a saunter. Like it just, he can't, he can't help it. He, he can't I know. help it. Braden. You might, I mean, you, you might as well ask Michelangelo not to paint. I just ask Dustin Johnson not to just walk down the fairway looking like that. It's, he, just, I mean, he just saunters. And it's funny. The first time I ever went to a practice round, I, it was he and Phil playing a practice round and probably 10 grand a hole who knows how much it was for and they were coming down like 10 or something and my dad and i were just standing there going like oh my god where are we like what are we doing here what what is happening right now why are we watching phil mickelson and dustin johnson hit onto the 10th green at augusta national like what what did we do to deserve this uh it is another world so i I didn't bring you here to all to talk golf though i want to talk talk college football great piece in the athletic you went back to 1992 in the sec basically ranked all the coaching hires. And I do think we'll get to the difference between hiring, ranking the best coaches and ranking the best coaching hires. I do think there is a subtle difference there. All 57 names since 1992 when the SEC split. People can follow along at home, uh, of course, on The Athletic. What, what was the methodology? And I know you guys are doing this across like every conference, but what was the, the nexus of the idea and what was the methodology behind making the decisions? As, well, as much as I hate it, I hate to do this, and you're free to edit it out in post. But I have to give credit to Mitch Light, our mutual, our mutual friend. It was his idea, and he did most. He did all the hard work for it. I just added sort of the the smart aleck comments. But it was a fascinating way to look at it, particularly to go back and look at the three years prior to each hire. And so, what was that school three years prior to this person arriving, and how did they do in relation to that? And so we ranked them based on that and obviously based on the success that they had. The top 10, not that hard. You're not going to – and I don't think we'd get a ton of argument, although there's some. Um, the bottom five, not that hard either. But there's a lot of room for, you know, interpretation there in the middle. So it was fun. Is it – it's interesting and I, I, that you led into my first question, which was what part of this was the most difficult and what part was the easiest? I figured that those top names would be the easiest part. Um, but as you got to the middle, are there any funny patterns that you noticed or serious, whether that's, oh, wow, that person – epically failed as a head coach, but ended up being a great position coach somewhere else or just funny trends like, you know, the, the motorcycle wrecks, like the weird one-offs and, and kind of just, as you notice any funny patterns as you were going through that. The pattern that I, that stood out to me over all the rest of them was how quickly you run out of people who you can say unequivocally that worked out well. There are 57 names on the list 
And how many of them with the benefit of hindsight would we look back and say, that's a good hire. These are people almost exclusively men in the SEC in the positions of athletic director and school president, et cetera, who are paid, not school presidents at least, but athletic directors are paid a tremendous amount of money basically to do two things, raise more money and hire a football coach. And the fact that they don't have a better success rate, <laughs> I think shows how hard it is. It either shows that or just a willful stubbornness not to change the way in which you approach the problem, especially if you are outside of the very small cadre of elite in the league. By that, I mean Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas A&M, I think could make an argument that they could or should be in that group. But if you're not one of those people who can go out and eventually make Nick Saban leave the Miami Dolphins and come coach your team, I, I, I don't know why you keep following the same hire the hot assistant coach that everybody knows. I mean, because we got, we got a long list right there that you can look at that shows you that the hit rate on that ain't great. It's funny, uh, you've got Houston, uh, it's funny when I stopped scrolling, you've got Lou Holtz at 19. Hard to argue that wasn't successful for South Carolina for a number of reasons, maybe not as successful as people thought it was going to be. Um, but it did sort of transition South Carolina into a new era. Houston Nutt at 20, Hugh Freeze at 21. We'll get to um, off the field stuff here in a second <laughs> with a lot of these guys. Yeah. Uh, but Cutcliffe at 22, Jim Donnan at 23, Bobby Petrino at 24. It, you know, after that... You know, Jim McElwain, who did win a couple of divisions, but you're talking about the drop off. And I always use Jeremy Foley as the example, right? The same guy who hired Urban Myers, the same guy who hired Ron Zook. So, like, that's a 50 50 hit rate right there. Yeah. And Jeremy Foley, I think, is probably rightfully considered one of the best SEC ADs of the last couple of generations. Yep. So, it's a hard job to coach an SEC football team. It's probably a harder job to hire SEC football coaches. But we have gotten to the point with both of those jobs where the pay scale is so enormous and out of whack with the real world that nobody wants to hear it's a hard job. You know, you, you are being paid at a level that success is not even expected, but demanded in both of those positions. And this is a tough league. You know, not everybody gets to win every Saturday in this league. Josh, how did you go about weighing in on, you know, those factors that are outside of the win-loss record, outside of, you know, if they made it to a bowl game, if they made it to the postseason, in terms of some of the bad stuff that went down? We're seeing it a lot with LSU. My alma mater's had some issues with it. Um, and just how did you kind of account for or dock for people messing up or maybe leaving something messier than they found it systematically, even if they won? I tried to stay, I, I tried my best to ignore it completely because it is too slippery a slope. Those are the kind of hairs that I can't split and frankly probably aren't appropriate for me to try to split at all, much less in a, a coach's ranking thing. I mean, just look at like at LSU, got two guys right near the top of the list, Les Miles, Ned Orgeron, that as we learn more, we've already learned some stuff that makes us wonder in, in three weeks, might we think, I don't want to see that guy's name anywhere. I mean, then you go way back to Mike DuBose. He did not exactly, you know, cover his character and glory in his time at Alabama, 
but do I, you know, how do I weigh that against our old friend, Bobby Petrino? And, you know, I, I, so I just tried my very best not to go there at all and to leave that completely to the side. So I, I think that's easy to do if your ranking was who are the best coaches. Like I can look at Urban Meyer and I can say Urban Meyer is one of the greatest coaches of our generation, Big Ten, SEC, or otherwise. We'll find out about the NFL. But I think he's one of the greatest coaches of our generation, period. I also think he's kind of a scumbag and kind of a liar. And so I don't, and I don't need any more information to back up my opinion on that. I, I just kind of know all the information. When you talk about hiring someone versus how good they are as a coach, Gene Chizik, for example, good dude, great dude. No, nothing wrong with what he did off the field necessarily. I know the Cam Newton thing is on his watch, but that's just pay for play, whatever. He won a national championship, so it's a great hire, but he's not considered a great coach, right? So I, I, I think if you're talking about the hire itself, how do you not look at Bobby Petrino and say, well, the program was left with X, Y, or Z to deal with, or Jeremy Pruitt left and you know with NCAA issues or Hugh Freeze or like you, you kind of have to look at some of that stuff if you're talking about how good the hire was because again if you hired someone even if you win a national championship but then we find out that you've been sexually harassing people <laughs> like don't we have to sort of take that into account I don't know I, I just don't I, I couldn't put myself in a position to do that because I can't weigh Urban Meyer you know I agree there is some stuff off the field that is not great with Urban Meyer but how do I compare that and, and to, to Bobby Petrino, how did I compare that to the various Auburn coaches who left them in NCAA disarray? You, every, you know, we, we can pick the thing that outrages and aggrieves us more than the other. But for, for me, I tried to stick inside the lines because anything else was, was impossible. I, you know, I, I couldn't. And, and like you say, I mean, if, if we're going to use those factors, we would have looked at less miles completely differently five years ago than we look at less miles today so i worry that if we're only judging the people who's off the field issues we know about <laughs> we're in danger we're in danger of of our guy who we love and think is of high moral character because he wins football games we're in danger of him being on that list in two weeks so i'm gonna you know i'm just gonna stick to what i can see on saturdays and you know, the occasional Monday nights or whenever they're playing football. <laughs> well, linguistically too, if we're talking about the language of the word hire, I mean, that's, that's also a way to just talk about the coaches in their different tenures at each school. So, you know, even though Nick Saban's overall the best, you know, one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest, I mean, he did well everywhere. There's some coaches that did well some places as, you know, Florida's higher, but didn't excel right. as South Carolina's higher. So in your defense could go either way. <laughs> Thank you. That You're was. A, I don't think that was a question, Aaron. Do you have a question for our guest, or are you just going to prop him up and make him feel good about himself? No, I'm just trying Either to way, get you to lay off. <laughs> I'm just used to dealing no, with I, you, so sometimes people need a little bit of backup. I just think if you're, and I'll, we'll move on here, but I think I could, I could see the argument. Here's the argument that I could see: if you're if you're ranking the hires, do you hold a previous transgression that we all should have known about against a person? I could see that argument. Do you say to yourself, well? You know, the third time you hired Bobby Petrino, you should have known what was coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could, I could see that. Um, but in terms of judging their tenure at a school, I, I tried to stay completely out of that. Yeah, and and I, I totally get that. Again, I think who's the like, and what I find interesting, and you've alluded to this already, and I, I have learned this over my career, and I, I do not understand why people did not see this and understand this concept. With and I, Dan Mullen is the poster child for this concept. 
you know, Mississippi State is the toughest job in the SEC West. In the toughest division in America, it's the toughest job to win at. He, what he did at Mississippi State, well, I, I could sit there and say, man, this is a phenomenal football coach. He clearly is a brilliant football coach and has accomplished so much at a school that is very difficult to win. Nobody really nationally would ever look at him and, and acknowledge that. But what did all the other people do at Mississippi State? And you said this, like how to evaluate a coach is not just how many wins and losses in the moment, but look what Mark Stoops is accomplishing at Kentucky relative to the last 50 years at Kentucky. Context is key. I don't think there's any question. And I've got Dan Mullen at Mississippi State ranked as a better hire than Dan Mullen at Florida, even though Dan Mullen's going to win more games as, as long as he sticks around at Florida. Dan Mullen's going to, you know, have more SEC East titles at Florida than he had West titles at Mississippi State. So, I, you know, I, I think that where you do it, what kind of job you inherited is important. Um, you know, I think that, that Mark Richt, I think longevity is important. Longevity is something that, that we put a lot of weight on as, as much as, you know, that's why Phil Fulmer and Mark Richt are as high as they are. It's hard to win in this league. It's really hard to win for a long time at a high level in this league. So those guys get it, but no, there's no question that context and our friend Steve Spurrier, you know, had, you know, not so subtly made that point several times throughout his career that Nick Saban, you know, has won at Alabama and LSU, and, and that's great. But, you know, Steve Spurrier is about the only dude who's won at South Carolina. Out of curiosity, Josh, when you go to do something like this, I know you alluded to Mitch, you know, who Braden and I both know from a previous job. I said, I don't know who that is. Yeah, okay. I know that you said that he did a lot of the legwork, but for you, when you go to write a piece this big, that's this detailed and this long and so inclusive, what does that process look like? And is it different this year in 2020? Like if you guys had all been, you know, in the same place or you had been in an office scene, would it have looked different? Would you have gotten into heated debates with other people at the office? Like what does that process look like in it, like in a normal year or this year from start to finish? Well, at, at my age and, and memory level, it, the, it, it looked a lot like Google. It looked a lot like Googling <laughs> to remind myself, all right, let me, let me, you know, looking at Mitch's numbers and then let's go back and look and, oh, that's right. I remember that about that guy now. And that was this guy and that was the other guy. There was not a lot of BSing in the group about the list because you're, we're not all together. We could have done that in Slack and Mitch and I talked about that. And then we decided that this is such a subjective list, we were just going to be jumping into a tar pit that, of which we would never get out of because everybody, everybody's list is going to be so different, and that's why these are fun. So we decided the best way to handle it is just to come up with this list, my list, mine and Mitch's list, and then release it into the wild and let everybody else tell us where we were wrong, what's right, et cetera. I do want to get back to Spurrier and longevity because I do find that interesting. But w what's the name that's given you the most like reaction? What's the name that people are just like the most outraged about? And you guys are just like, I can't believe that that's the, the person people are pissed off about. I don't know that there's a person specifically the most, the, what we've gotten the most debate about is Auburn is the, is the collective group of Auburn coaches because they look in some ways, they look a lot alike, you know, I would argue you can't find you can't name another SEC schools, another SEC school that has made five hires in a row that have worked. Regardless of how they ended, regardless of the low points, I don't think you can argue that Terry Bowden, Tommy Tuberville, Gus Malzahn, going all the way back to Pat Dye, Gene Chizik, 
they worked. Now, they also didn't work, and they also had their own level of craziness, but that's kind of the way Auburn does things. So crazy works for Auburn, and I hope that they stick with it. I really do, because it's great for everybody. So many people, like, you know, how do you split hairs? You know, what's the difference between Terry Bowden and Tommy Tuberville? Honestly, except maybe, you know, six or seven inches in, in height. <laughs> and one's a U.S. senator now. But I was going to say one. Yeah, so we, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that aside. But, and, you know, they, 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 or they look remarkably similar to me, but people who watch that up close, you know, have very strong opinions about this guy. Tommy was better than Terry or whatever. But, uh, you know, and, and the Tennessee Tennessee fans, uh, forgive me, Braden, you know, still real salty about lots of people. You know, I think that Tennessee fans think Butch Jones is a much worse coach than Butch Jones actually is. He's not a great coach, but he is not as bad a coach as Tennessee people think he is. Lane Kiffin is not as bad a coach. You know, my we talk about what ifs all the time. What if – Southern Cal doesn't open and Lane stays at Tennessee. That might be very interesting. I, I think Lane is one of the lowest coaches on your list I, at Tennessee. I think he should be higher on the list because he might should be. What what he accomplished with Jonathan Crompton was nothing short of a miracle. They 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 destroyed Georgia. They almost beat Tebow and they almost beat Bama in 09. Had no business doing any of that. And yeah, you could argue there was some ruffled feathers on the recruiting trail, certainly in your neck of the woods. And there's yeah. no question about that. But you compare them to everybody else, and again, they have Fulmer counts technically since the 92 split, but since 92, when they hired him, or 93, Lane Kiffin is by far the best hire Tennessee has made. By far. Yeah, and it, I think the league might be very interesting if Lane Kiffin had stuck around. And you mentioned his off-the-field and ruffling feathers thing. This circles back to our previous conversation about how do we judge the off-the-field stuff. Do you remember – I mean, I remember actual outrage – that Lane Kiffin had told Alshon Jeffrey that he was going to pump gas if he went to South Carolina. There were people who, honest to God, were angry about that. How quaint does that feel <laughs> in 2021 that we thought Lane Kiffin was a bad person <laughs> because he made a joke to Alshon Jeffrey about pumping gas? I mean, it is, <laughs> it is kind of a douchey thing to say to some, somebody, especially a kid. Like, it's a terrible thing to say to somebody. But to your point, yeah, like it's, it's, yeah, not, but, it's but not the same as sexual harassment in the office. We're place. grading on a different scale these days. You're right. No, I, I, I tend to agree with you. There's no question. That's not untrue. You kind of still, you kind of already addressed this. My next question was how did Tennessee fans react? Just because I'm, they continue to baffle mad, me the way that their mad mind about works. Everything. Yeah, that sounds right. No, that's just, I mean, that's the way Tennessee fans are. They're just mad. They're mad about everything. And I love so them I'll for it. I'll shift to Vanderbilt now. That's where I went. And I was, I will say I was a little surprised and maybe this is narrow sided of me, or it made me think about how in the world you guys even put this together because James Franklin was like all the way up the list. And then Bobby Johnson was all the way down the list. And it got me thinking about, well, those James Franklin really won with Bobby Johnson's recruits and just kind of makes you think through all the minutia of everything that had to, to come into play. How did you, how did you try to weigh the what they started out, what they were working with, um, and you know how that was pawned off on the next person? So I, I, I the first, the previous three years made a difference, but I didn't put a lot of weight into well, so and so won with so and so's players, so the first so and so gets credit because if the first so and so had won with his players, he'd still be around. So 
I, I could argue Bobby yeah. Johnson, looking back, could be higher because I think prior to James Franklin's existence in Nashville, we all thought, I thought Bobby Johnson did a pretty dang good job. But what James Franklin did still feels a little bit like a magic trick. And it put <laughs> everything else that happened, frankly, before him and after him, kind of like what Spurrier did here at South Carolina, in a different context. So um, Bobby Johnson maybe maybe could be higher. But, I, but honest to goodness, James Franklin could be higher too. And I think I've got him fourth. So you've got Joker Phillips at 52. Um, Dooley, I think, right, was is 53. So there's Kentucky and Tennessee during the James Franklin era right there. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I th- who was there? Was it McIlwain or was it Must? No, Muschamp was at Florida, I believe. Mm-hmm. So there, there's your reason. <laughs> there's the magic trick right there. You know, that's part of it because, as I pointed out in Tommy Tuberville, and maybe the reason Tommy Tuberville – was one spot below Terry Bowden instead of one spot ahead of Terry Bowden is we, we remember Tommy as the guy who won six straight over Alabama, but he, he won six straight over Mike Shula, basically <laughs> Mike Shula, Alabama. So that's not the same thing. So that again, context is key. And, and invariably when you start grading in context and looking into context, it gets squishy and you know, it, it moves around and, and I, you know, you don't always apply it exactly fairly maybe well we'll we'll let you get out of here man uh it's a great list everybody go check it out i could talk to you about this josh for for hours Uh, i find it infinitely fascinating and if i'll leave you with this you got four new guys in the sec who is the like of those four guys who is the one that's highest on this list in five years um the brand new hires boy good question Uh, brady yeah you got josh josh heupel at tennessee you got Brian Harson at Auburn. You got Clark Lee at Vanderbilt and Shane Beamer at South Carolina. I mean, give me Har- give me Harson just because of A, his track record of success, B, Auburn's track record of success, and C, Auburn's, you know, Auburn coaches hate the Auburn family when they get run out of town <laughs> on a train. But the Auburn family finds a way to get things done, too. Well, and that's what makes Gene Chizik staying in Auburn for the rest of his life so fascinating to me. (laughs) He still just lives there with his kids and stuff. Uh, Josh, always a pleasure, man. Go check it out. Pay for good journalism. Go to The Athletic. and, And thank you so much for hanging out with us, bud. Thanks for having me, gang. Special thanks to Josh Kendall from The Athletic. Used to be at the state, covered South Carolina forever. Augusta National, one of the greatest places to go. Fantastic ranking of coaches, Aaron. If you want to go, you know, obviously we we kind of gave our thoughts on that ahead of time. But if you want to go follow along and read it, please go pay for good journalism and check out the athletic. So uh lots of it's weird not just fifty-seven. Sorry, we're talking at the same time a lot today. It's not just fifty-seven bullet points of stacked information, although there's a lot of information in there. It's also extremely entertaining and really funny and witty and kind of asshole humor and it's great yeah I, I i actually could have gotten more of that from josh and company because there there was a few things they didn't they didn't attach and, and you heard josh talk about it there we kind of stayed away from some of the off the field stuff and i think there was a motorcycle reference in there at some point so uh, you know they didn't stay there was a motorcycle they, reference in there they, they i actually not, read the whole thing they did not stay completely away from all the stuff off the uh off the field so subtleties uh, very strange collection of topics today on the show but you know what like basketball season's over baseball season's here for sec fans we got spring practice everywhere so um you know a lot of weird topics today on the show 
Things got weird. Let's get weird. We, we tend to be that whether we do it on purpose or not. Yep. It happens, man. It happens. Uh, Obviously special thanks to everybody listening. Make sure you check out the gold standard podcast out every Wednesday covering the Nashville predators with Adam Vingan and myself, brand new show club and country covering Nashville SC with Wes Bowling and Tim Sullivan. That is out every Tuesday. Of course, our show on Thursdays. And again, lamestream sports as well on Friday with myself and Steve Cavendish, the 440 every single day. I think that's all the housekeeping I need to do outside of one more thing. Special thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Jaspers. Fringe Element is brought to you by Jaspers. Go eat at Jaspers. Great food, free parking. It's great. At least it's brought to you by Jaspers for now until they fire Braden and I for being weird, but it's fine. They love us because we're weird, Aaron. I know. It's true. That's why um, that's, that's why they're still with us. Go and get the, what are the fries called that we like? The sweet potato fries with pulled pork and red onion and all these ancho cherry barbecue sauces and stuff on top of them. You mean those? Yes, fries? that's the one, but is it called, does it have a name? I think it's like the sweet potato pulled barbecue fries. Sweet potato barbecue fries, I think is what it's called. It's delicious. Okay. It's, no, it is delicious. I'm not totally convinced that's what it's called, but yeah, you get the gist. You'll you'll know it. You'll recognize it on the menu. Try it. State of the art fries. That's what they are. French fries. Yes. State of the art waffle fries. <laughs> For Aaron Dugan, where can people follow you? Mercifully. Aaron underscore Dugan on the gram and the Aaron Dugan on the Twitter machine. Sam Pittman still follow you? I need to check. Good. That's your homework for the weekend. Everybody have I a will. great week. Everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy the Masters. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook, at 440 Media on Instagram as well. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show and share it. We do appreciate it. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Peace.